Guys, welcome to the show. Today's going to be a great episode with Justin Schaefer, and he's a 23-year uh, military veteran. He lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and has a lot of experience uh, with big game hunting. Today we're going to be talking specifically about doll sheep, uh, mountain goats, uh, black bears, and then he also drew a Rocky Mountain bighorn tag here in S44 in Colorado. And you're going to get a lot of value out of this. We talk a lot about gear, talk a lot about prep, and what have you for his upcoming hunts. Uh, thanks to Justin for coming on and sharing his knowledge. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for your avid support of the podcast. I appreciate all of the questions and comments that uh, come in via email and through direct message on Instagram and want to encourage you if you have any questions please feel free to send me uh, a, a question or comment or anything that's on your mind at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com you can also find me on Instagram at jscottoutdoors I appreciate you guys following uh, there on my Instagram account and want to encourage you guys uh, to please if you haven't done so uh, go on iTunes if you if that's where you listen to this podcast if you haven't given a review with positive comments uh, that that helps my placement uh, on iTunes and helps me out and I really appreciate uh, those of you that have gone on and uh, given a review and uh, you know uh, given fair uh, comments about this podcast. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. Uh, thank you so much for your loyal support of this podcast. I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, uh, GoHunt.com, Insider, and want to encourage you to use the J. Scott promo code when signing up for the Insider, which is the best Western uh, hunting resource uh, tool out there. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop store credit of $50 by using the J. Scott promo code. And I want to thank Lorenzo Sartini and his crew there at Go Hunt Insider. Uh, for their unbelievable resource and encourage you guys to go check it out. Uh, they also are giving away gear, they're giving away hunts just to the Insider member. So all you have to do is be an Insider member to uh, be a successful winner, to be in the drawing. All you have to do is be an Insider member. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, Jason Harrison and his crew. I know Jason and Brendan uh, right now are on their way to a stone sheep hunt in uh, British Columbia. And I want to encourage you guys to check out the Kuyu Mobile Showroom. Uh, which is going to be in 26 cities in six months and uh, they are just finishing up being in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Next is Omaha, Nebraska August 3rd through the 5th, Kansas City, Missouri August 10th through the 12th, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Lubbock, Albuquerque, Grand Junction and many more cities. You can go to kuyu.com to check out all of their fantastic products. Uh, also to see where the Kuyu Mobile Showroom is going to be next. Uh, this Kuyu Mobile Showroom is uh, a big giant semi-trailer that has every piece of gear that Kuyu makes and sells in every size. So you can go and try on everything from base layers to uh, you know the super down jackets to super down pants to their boots. Uh, I've been wearing these new Rebel K's and love them. I'm going to wear them on this goat hunt coming up. Uh, to backpacks you can see which frame size uh, fits you best and it's just an awesome way uh, for uh, Kuyu since they're only available through Kuyu.com it's a great way to uh, go make sure uh, that all your sizing is correct and you can touch it and feel it and uh, get a good sense of the gear thanks to uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting I also want to thank Cody Nelson and the guys down at the Outdoorsman's Outdoorsman's.com uh, 1-800-291-8065. If you use the J. Scott promo code uh, when you call the Outdoorsman's, you're going to get a 10% discount there on those Outdoorsman's products. And um, they, they make everything from tripods. They are the optics authority. Uh, they, they, they 
are unbelievable uh, have have an unbelievable amount of knowledge when it comes to hunting optics and the use of optics and hunting and encourage you guys to um, check them out also Cheston Davis with phonescope.com he can uh, take any binocular or any optic spotting scope and be able to adapt it to any phone and you can be immediately taking photos and videos if you use the jscott16 promo code you're going to get a 10 percent discount there at phonescope.com uh, guys thanks so much let's get into it with justin schaefer uh, make sure to send me photos of your uh, successful hunting and fishing trips i uh, love to see them and um, until next time guys god bless Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Justin Schaefer, an army guy, military guy, 23 years experience, lives in Anchorage, Alaska, also owner of TNT Guides. Justin, how you doing? Hey, Jay, how's it going? I'm doing good, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, going to be great to have you on here. Uh, from what I understand, uh, you have a doll sheep hunt that starts uh, here really quick, and then you also drew a uh, Rocky Mountain bighorn tag in Colorado. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, it's been quite the tags for me. Uh, started out early. I uh, was able to pick up a resident uh, mustox tag and then rolled right into throwing a doll sheep tag here in Alaska in my home state and then um, drew a bighorn sheep archery tag down in Colorado this year. That's fantastic. I can't wait to pick your brain and ask you about those hunts. Before we get into that, um, would you tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself and your military background and um, uh, you know some of that uh, history in not only the military but in your, your background growing up that's uh, you know led you to be a big game hunter and, and got you into all of what, what you're into now? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my, my, uh, as, as far as I can remember going back, I've always wanted to be in the military. I always wanted to be an airborne ranger, scout sniper. And my, my oldest memories are of that. And, and that's what I've done. So I've just recently hit 23 years. Um, I hold the rank of Sergeant major. I'm a, uh, infantry operations Sergeant major is the position that I hold. Um, the first half of my career, the first 12 years I spent, as a scout sniper, um, airborne ranger qualified, jump master, pathfinder, um, been stationed all over the U.S., but uh, lucky enough that I was able to uh, uh, pick to be stationed up in Fort Richards in Alaska, where um, I've pretty much cemented myself and homesteaded. Uh, right now, the plan is I've got about two and a half years until I retire, and then once I retire, I want to expand my uh, guide business, TNT Guides, with a couple of retired Army buddies, and then uh, look at opening a full-time tax army shop as well. That's fantastic. So, uh, uh, airborne ranger um, and sniper. So you're you're not one of these uh, snipers or self-identified snipers that you see on Instagram. that are self-proclaimed long-range shooting experts and what have you that literally have no experience. I mean, you you literally are an uh, uh, an airborne ranger that is a is an army certified sniper, correct? I am, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've lived it, I've been there, done that. Um, I was a, a sniper school instructor in Fort Benning, Georgia, for three years. Um, and then I've been uh, in four different sniper sections in various units, deployed to Afghanistan as a sniper section uh, leader. And then I've competed internationally. I've, I've won six different international um, world sniper competitions. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I <laughs> got the T-shirt. Uh, one one question. Um, we'll dive into all the hunts. Um, so you also are really big into archery as well. And um, what similarities do you see in being a you know a sniper and you know super efficient with your rifle? Um, how does that correlate to being also a, a an expert marksman with your archery equipment? So first of all, I, I absolutely love archery. I love bow hunting. Um, probably 90% of the hunting I do, um, I bow hunt. And um, it's just, you know, I've bow hunted since I was a kid, and it's just a passion that stayed with me and lived with me. And as far as the way the two uh, correlate and, you know, one rolls into the other is, you know, fundamentals of marksmanship are, you know, the basic fundamentals, sight picture, sign alignment, uh, trigger squeeze, you know, things like that. They, they go hand in hand. 
whether you're you're shooting a bolt gun, a gas gun, or your bow. So you know they 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 just roll right into each other. Yeah, and and how much of that do you think of being a good shot is is learned, and how much of it is instinctive and just something that you know comes natural to you guys? Well, for sure, you know, there's there's natural ability. You can't deny that. You know, some people can just pick it up with little to no training and be able to, you know, incorporate the fundamentals and shoot. Um, where other people, you know, it, it takes more practice, uh, more time, you know, um, to dive into it to become uh, efficient or, you know, become an, an expert marksman with whatever they choose to shoot with. So. Yeah. Um, wh- where were you born and where did you grow up? So I was uh, born in Denver, Colorado, uh, and I lived there uh, the majority of my life until I left the Army um, shortly after my 19th birthday. And then from there, um, I've lived, you know, all over the world, um, East Coast, West Coast, um, been stationed at, you know, various different places since I joined the military. Gotcha. And um, you did some active tour of duty uh, service yourself over in Afghanistan? I did, yeah. I spent a year in Afghanistan um, as a sniper section sergeant. Interesting. And, it, you know, not having served in the military myself, uh, all your training that you go through and what have you, when when you're actually in the line of fire and you're actually, you know, in the hot zone, so to speak, and people are actually shooting back at you, um, how hard is it to fall back on your training and how real is it, you know, like when you're when you are training, how important is that? And, and I'm trying to correlate this into people training and hunting or for their hunting and being able to shoot, you know, when the you know, when the heat is on, so to speak. Um, how yeah. important is yeah, that? No, absolutely. And yeah, so the, the two go hand in hand, you know, translating from um, what we do in the military to what you do in the field hunting, you know, and um, we have lots of things in the army, you know, things like training your fight, you know, so when you're at the range practicing, you know, you're wearing your full battle rattle, you're trying to make it as realistic as possible so that, you know, it's just like muscle memory. So when things happen, um, you fall back on it. And then we have, you know, other things that fall right in line, like, you know, you don't rise to the level of uh, your expectations, you fall to the level of your training, you know, so when things happen and things are happening fast, you know, and your brain doesn't always have time to think that's where that muscle memory and doing it, you know, the way you practice and the way you train just falls back into play. And, you know, it's, it's no different in hunting when that adrenaline kicks in and you're trying to get your sight and trying to get drawn back and, you know, your brain's not working right and everything's a little bit fuzzy. I'll fall back into how you rehearsed, how you train, how you practice, being able to try and execute that shot, whether it's in military terms or you're, you're hunting in the field. I didn't really prep you at all. I just told you I wanted to interview you um, and have a conversation with you. So, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be off the cuff. But when you're relating to and trying to talk to people that are trying to improve their skills in marksmanship and, you know, handling their rifle, what are kind of the fundamentals and the basics of making sure that you have XYZ completed in order to execute your shot? And, and let's say, you know, you're, you're trying to shoot a, a doll sheep at, you know, three, 400 yards or whatever. And what are some basic principles that, that you would uh, tell someone that they need to be proficient at in order to execute what they're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, three things to mind right away. First is, um, no matter what you're doing, um, in life when it comes to being able to try and execute something the best, to me, you've got to have the best equipment that is available or that you can afford, you know? So you want to have the best products, you know, generally as the saying goes, get what you pay for when it comes to buying hunting items, optics, you know, guns, things like that. It's, it's generally true. So, have the best equipment that you can afford, um, put the time into practice in it, number two. And number three, we have a saying that consistency equals accuracy. So if you're doing the same thing every time and, um, you know, working it that way, then you can figure out what those results are and make adjustments to those results if you're doing the same thing. If you're squeezing the trigger the same way, taking the sight picture the same way, 
you know, um, things like that, that that's going to help your shooting uh, tremendously. If you can just do the same thing every time so that when you have a mistake, it's easy to identify that mistake and then take steps to correct it. And then as far as the actual execution of the shot and, you know, your breathing and your trigger pull and, you know, establishing a, a, a foundation for your rifle, um, are you most always shooting off of your backpack? And if you could walk me through kind of your shot process and your, your checklist and, you, you know, how you establish a firm foundation for, for your rifle. Absolutely. And you, you hit the key word there, and, and that key word is foundation. So, um, obviously, you want to have the most bone support, the most muscle support, you know, the best structure, um, you the best platform that you can to start, you know, whether that's in a prone position, a sitting and kneeling, uh, shooting off the hood of a vehicle, whatever it is. You want to have it support to be as stable as possible so, again, you take out as much human error as possible. So and then another thing that you don't hear a lot about in the civilian world practice is, you know, getting your natural point of aim. So when you do squeeze that trigger and your body relaxes, uh, that bullet is going where it's supposed to go because you've lined up properly to begin with. So you want to build that good foundation, good structure so that you have good support, get your natural point of uh, aim set up. And then after that, it's just the fundamentals of marksmanship with, with sight alignment, sight picture, breathing, and your trigger squeeze. And, you know, just like I do in the military when we, we train as you fight, when I'm prepping to go on a hunt, whether I'm shooting archery um, or shooting a rifle, I try and set up those scenarios that may run into in the field. So, number one, I start with my equipment. You know, if I'm out hunting, I'm going to be wearing my hunting gear. I'm going to put my Kuyu clothes on. I'm going to put my bino harness on. I'm going to put my pack on. And that's what I practice in. So when it comes down to making that shot execution or being in the field, you know, you kind of already have an idea of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and you can identify mistakes before you get out there. Yeah, it's really good stuff, really good stuff. I know we could dive in and do, you know, separate episodes on a lot of this stuff. Um, today, mainly, I just want to do some overview with you and talk to you about your upcoming hunts. Um, but I know some listeners and, and I know myself, I'm going to want to dive in a little bit more with you on, on, on shooting and proper form and, and all, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that you have learned over the years. And, and so we can do that at another time. Uh, you mentioned a muskox hunt that kind of started your year off. Um, real curious to hear how that went and, um, Brendan, uh, Burns, I know went on a muskox hunt. I think, I think you guys went together. Um, and just yeah, we sure did. Yep. curious how, how that hunt unfolded for, for you. Yes. Yeah, so to be honest, we, we, we just got lucky. So the state of Alaska has a registration muskox hunt. And what I mean by registration is they allow a certain number of tags, um, or species of animal to be harvested. And once that number is reached then the hunt shut off. Sometimes they do that by allowing us number of they do that by allowing us number of animals. So uh, this this hunt on Nelson Island Muskox has been open for three years now, and it's an online registration and it's basically first come first serve. So they set a date, they open up um, when that hunt's going to be available, and the first people online to get those tags um, are going to be the ones that are allowed to hunt. So like I said, this is our third year plan. Um, we had everybody on the phone like we always do, um, myself, Brendan, and a couple of uh, my local hunting buddies. And as soon as it opened up, you know, we were bam on the computer trying to get in line. And after three years of failing, in the end, four of us ended up getting the 18 tags that they allowed. Um, so we were, you know, obviously psyched and excited in the beginning, you know, the, the season to have an off. Uh, cycle hunt, you know, that, that falls in February, March when you're not usually doing anything anyways. And just the hunt opportunity to be able to hunt, um, you know, muskox is just, you know, ridiculously awesome. They're such a cool creature. Um, and just the chance to hunt them is few and far between. So super stoked, super lucky to get that tag. That's awesome. And how cold was it when you, when you guys went? So um, this was my fourth muskox hunt, and this was by far the most mild um, weather that we've ever had. So we actually got sunburned while we were out there. Um, clear blue skies, 
Um, day one, it was probably the chilliest. And when we got up uh, before dark to head out on snow machines, it was probably in negative teens uh, for ambient temperature, little to no wind. Um, and on the first day of our hunt, where it just continued to warm up, we were 20 to 30 degrees above uh, zero. And uh, Brendan had um, brought out some new uh, ultra cold weather deer for us to test out on the hunt. And honestly, we were sweating our butts off wearing this gear. It was, you know, rarely do you ever say in the Arctic, you know, you're too warm. And with, with the temps that we had, the mild temps that we had for muskox hunting, um, you know, it's uh, a good scenario. We weren't suffering in the cold. Well, that's good to, to hear. Okay, Justin, I noticed that you have two hunts um, after your muskox hunt. You had a doll sheep hunt coming up, and you have a tag that you've drawn in Colorado. Uh, why don't we dive into the doll sheep hunt first and talk a little bit about uh, drawing that tag, your prep for that, and, and what your expectations are as far as doll sheep hunting there in Alaska? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, you know, the old saying, uh, it's better to be lucky than good. You know, I, I, I got lucky and drew this tag. Um, it's a hunt that I had done before back in 03 and 04 before the unit went to a draw. So I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the unit. I killed a really big ram back there in 03. Um, so I've got some history with the place. Um, just absolutely pumped when I found out in February when the draw results came out that I had drawn this tag. And, you know, immediately after you draw a premium sheep tag like that, you just immediately go into uh, prep mode. You know, the deer start turning. You start thinking about how you want to approach it and how the hunt's going to go. And, and since I found out that I drew that tag, it's just been every day nonstop thinking, living, dreaming, sheep hunting. Is it a Chugach tag? It is, yeah. It's a Chugach tag, which is right here in my backyard, so... Um, very familiar with the unit, very familiar with the area. And, and as anybody who knows doll sheep in Alaska knows, um, that some of the best genetics in the world record sheep, um, archery and rifle both came out of the Chugach here. So is this hunt a archery hunt or a rifle hunt? So this is, uh, uh an any weapons hunt. Um, and actually I'll be taking both on the hunt with me. I've got a good partner of mine, um, a ranger buddy that just retired after, uh, 27 years this past spring who's going to fly up from fort benning georgia um to be my my personal sherpa slash pack mule and uh he's going to carry my 6.5 for me and then i'm going to have my hoyt uh bow strapped to my pack so um if everything goes well you know and, and, and goes right obviously i'd like to take uh, uh, a ram with my bow again um but if not i won't hesitate to to go to the 6.5 to get it done and talking about your hunt in, in 0304, that was back before it was a draw. Um, you shot a really nice ram then? I sure did, yeah. Um, so uh, I believe the unit went to um, a, a draw in 06. Before that, it was an over-the-counter tag. Um, and we went in for a seven-day hunt. Um, and I ended up killing uh, a really nice ram on day eight. So, and, and the reason it went to day eight is that we had located these sheep on, on day seven and just they were in a spot that you could not get to. Um, we decided to, to stay even though we didn't have food um, and, and our gear was three miles away. Uh, we bivvied overnight on top of the mountain with just a, uh, an emergency blanket and uh, woke up that morning and, and got lucky. The rams came down and, and I killed a really nice 38-inch um, ram that, that went just under uh, B&C at 158. That's fantastic. And so give the listeners a, a idea of how big the Chugach range is. So the Chugach range is um, a huge mountain range, um, and it's a very steep mountain range. So the majority of the area that I'll be hunting um, is in that five to 7,000 foot range that it tops out at, but it's nasty crags, um, you know, nasty steep peaks. It's just rough, rough sheep country. And so... Being in your backyard, are you able to scout that efficiently, or, or do you have some rams picked out, or are you just picking country and going to head in and do the best you can? So the, the unit that I drew is a fairly small unit. There's only a handful of drainages in there, um, and there's one airstrip in that drainage, and then there's one drainage that has access. Um, you can get to a point with a four-wheeler, and then it's about a nine-mile hike in. Um, currently, I've flown the unit um, scouting once. Um, and we did pick up one really good ram. We got about half the unit scouted before we ran out of uh, daylight and hoping to get back up there once or twice more um, before we fly into the unit on uh, 8 August 
with the opener being 10 August. Awesome. Um, I'm coming up there for a uh, mountain goat hunt. My friend Dar Colburn and I actually drew mountain goat uh, mountain goat hunt with uh, uh, Frank Sanders. Uh, do you know Frank? I, I know Frank real well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Frank's a good buddy of mine, so we run in the, the same group of people up here. So we're going to be um, flying up on the 12th up there. Um, so what are your expectations for your doll sheep hunt uh, upcoming and how long do you have to hunt? So um, it's kind of funny with the, the tags that I drew. Um, the, uh, I'll bounce over to the, the bighorn sheep tag that I drew in Colorado. Um, I drew the S44 tag, and this was the first time um, accumulating points and putting in for draws in Colorado that I'd put in for this hunt. Um, and I switched at the last minute because I had drawn this doll sheep tag, and it was the only hunt in Colorado that didn't overlap my doll sheep tag. So... If everything lines up right now, um, I've dedicated 8 to 18 August on this doll sheep hunt. Um, I come out of the field, uh, if, barring any weather delays, and fly to Colorado on the 21st to start scouting for that sheep hunt. So I've only got three days in between, um, coming off of a, a up to 10 days is what I've got set aside for this doll sheep hunt. And um, I've been lucky enough to take five rams since I've lived in, uh, in Alaska, um, one and four with bow. And I'm a horrible trophy hunter when it comes to sheep. I just, I, I love sheep. And if it's a full curl ram, um, to me, it's going to get taken. So I, I don't weed through a lot of sheep. Obviously, the bigger, the better. You know, I'd love to hit that 40-inch um, mark of a, a dream full curl sheep. But honestly, anything that's close that, that looks good is, is going to get torched. Nice. Um, that sounds like a fun time. So how many doll sheep have you killed yourself? So I've taken five in the state of Alaska, and with friends and buddies, I've probably been on another 15 in hands um, or been a part of 20 doll sheep hunts. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, have you have you killed uh, a desert or a, a stone um, sheep? I have not. If everything goes well and I'm able to harvest ram in Colorado, that'll make me a half slimer. So I'll have doll sheep uh, and bighorn sheep under my belt. Hoping um, eventually with uh, the Western draws that I'll draw a, do uh, a desert sheep um, in my lifetime. And then if that happens, then obviously I need to start figuring out how to put a, a stone in with that. For sure. Um, talk a little bit about your, I, I assume you've got your gear all ready to go. Talk a little bit about your food that you're going to be taking on this um, Chugach hunt and some of your gear. Yeah, so with um, with this uh, Chugach, I'm lucky because uh, I've got one of my best friends here, a uh, good buddy of Frank, Kyle Waite, uh, um, who's a Super Cub pilot, and he's going to take me in. So with being able to land the airstrip and not having to backpack that nine miles in like we did last time, I'm able to up my gear and my food a little bit, um, being able to start at a base camp. So for the most part, in all my mountain hunts, um, I run Mountain House. This is my base deal. Um, and then after that, I supplement it with, you know, bagels, um, candy bars, things like that. I'm not a, a big protein bar guy. Um, I, I like the flavor, so I, I stick to, to candy bars and, and things that I like that, that taste good. Gotcha. Um, what mountain houses are you taking? Um, so I'll run a variety um, of different mountain houses. Um uh, I'm pretty much a fan of most of their meals, um, and I'll just you know do a smorgasbord throughout the ten days and and just mix it up with a bunch of different mountain house flavors. So try and keep it uh, different each day. Gotcha. And um, talk a little bit about the gear that you're going to be wearing and using on the hunt on this Chugach hunt. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody that knows me knows that I'm a gear guy. I just I am a gear freak. Um, and I just, you know, a large amount of my paycheck every month goes to new gear. Um, and for me, uh, I think I was a little bit ahead of the, the ball game now toward the industry is, is that I've always considered clothing gear. And for me, like I talked about earlier, one of the first things you need to have to be successful is the best gear. And to me, um, it starts with the clothing and I wear head to toe Kuyu. And, you know, it helps that Brendan Burns is, is a good friend of mine and, you know, well vested in Kuyu, but I just from head to toe, um, with the exception of my boots, um, I, I wear nothing but Kuyu gear. Gotcha. So, what are you going to actual? 
specifically, what are you going to run from head to toe gear-wise? Yep, so um, my main, um, I'll run Peloton base layers. Um, I, I do have some Marine wool, um, but for now, part on gear, and as you know, Marine wool has great uh, properties for insulation when it gets wet, but, um, you know, it, it just it, it doesn't have the, the resiliency to me that the Peloton does. And then I also feel that the Peloton dries a little bit quicker, so that'll be my base layer um, is the Peloton. And I absolutely love the tack pants. Um, if I could, I would wear tack pants every single day of the week. Um, so that's what I'll be wearing on the bottom. Um, and then I'll run a Peloton um, zip top with a hoodie. And then after that, I'll have uh, a guy jacket on top. And that'll be the majority of what I wear. And, then, you know, with a beanie, um, different gloves of different weights based on the temperature rating that we're going. Uh, and like I said, with the exception of my boots, I run head-to-toe Kuyu. So... Okay. Um, what about your um, back or your uh, backpack, your your tent, and your boots? Yep. So um, as far as my packs go, I, I use two different types of packs. I've got kind of a weird, funky shaped back. So once you get about fifty or sixty pounds on my back, um, most packs I just can't get them to fit right the way my back shelf um, uh, contours on my body. So. Um, right now, for my, my heavy-duty mountaineering pack, I use an Exo Mountain 5500. And then um, as my day pack or midway pack that I use for almost everything else um, is a Kuyu uh, 3300. Okay. And your boots? So um, I've got some super funky feet. A little bit of that is genetics, and then some of that is 23 years of beating them in the military. Um, so I run a 60 wide foot, um, which is probably why I'm such a good swimmer. And then I've got ridiculously high arches. So for the last, I don't know, probably eight or nine years now, um, I've run, uh, specifically laser and sun boots and it's because they're custom fitting. Um, four or five years ago, I flew down, um, and met Steven, had my feet casted. That's how funky my feet are so that he could custom mold and build boots for me. Um, so this year I'll be running the Lathrop and Sons, introduce their own signature series boot, uh, the Mountain Hunter Elite, and that's what I'll be wearing this year. How have they been breaking in for you? So the first thing I always do with a set of Lathrop, I put them on, I hit the gym, I jump on the treadmill, I run five miles. And to this day, I've never had a blister, never had a hot spot, and from that point on after that, they're, they're broken and good to go for me. Absolutely. I, I cannot rave and say enough good things about Lathrop and Sons Boots and about uh, Stephen and James. Uh, those guys take care of me. And as you know, um, when it comes to the mountains, you, you've got to take care of your feet. Everything starts from the bottom up, and having good boots is key to being a successful mountain hunter. For sure. What um, advice or what do you do when you get blisters, or how do you prevent blisters, um, you know, as far as your socks or Luco tape or what what do you do yep so you, you said both of them uh right there so you got to have um top end socks i know it hurts to spend 15 to 20 dollars for a pair of socks but you got to have a synthetic merino type sock and then um i am absolutely in love with Luco tape so to me there is nothing better for preventing blisters than pre-taping before i go into the field and i'm if you tape well enough and, and do it right you can get 10 days out of taping your feet one time, run 10 days in the wettest conditions and come out of there with no blisters. So how do, walk me through how you tape your, pre-tape your feet up and, you know, where do you specifically tape up, how do you do it and what have you? Yep, so the biggest places that I um, tend to, to get hot spots or that I want to prevent getting hot spots or blisters from the backs of my heels, um, and a lot of it again comes to with how funky shaped my feet are, um, and I tend to have to run my ankles a lot looser and my boots just for comfort. So, you know, as soon as you start going up hills, you start to get rub. Um, so I, I triple, quadruple layer the backs of my heels, and then I, I do a full wrap around my big toes. Those seem to be the spots that always give me trouble. Um, and that Luco tape has just, you know, it, it saved the day more than once for me. So you literally triple and quadruple layer and and... Um, 
I, I like Luco tape as well. And with this mountain goat hunt up, you know, I've been wearing those new Kuyu um, Rebel Ks and uh, I've probably got 100 miles on them. But everyone keeps saying you're going to get blisters in mountain goat country, you know, even though I don't have blisters now. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, pre-wrapping. So literally you're taking, you know, the back of your heel, like from, from the middle of your ankle on each side and you're basically staggering as you go up or are you doing one, you know, uh, strip of Luco tape and then going right over the top of it. I'm curious, you know, where your overlap of your Luco tape, how do you prevent, you know, little ridges and stuff like that getting created? Yep. So, so what I do is I, I do overlap it um, on the back of the hill. Like I said, I run three to four layers. And then once I've got that built up a little bit on just the back of my heel, then I'll run two or, uh, or one or two wraps all the way around my ankle. It comes back around to help prevent those edges and then um, help prevent healing. So I'll run a full wrap or, or two around my ankle. Okay. So in other words, you get it built up and then you run a full wrap around your ankle um and when you do that if it makes sense do you have your foot straight out once you go around your ankle and it starts you know or do you point your toe or how are you doing that so for me i point my toe that way i you know you get those ridges in that plane there and then based on what ends up there sometimes I'll, I'll put a little i'll take my knife and do a little slice you know on the edges of the tape so that it'll conform to on um, the contours and the ridges of the back of your ankle there around your Achilles tendon. And are you doing this every day or are you wrapping and it lasts for 10 days? So um, if you do it right and, and you don't get too wet of conditions, you, if you do one good wrap, one good pre-wrap, you can get a week to 10 days out of it with no problem. And, and that, that stuff also is just sticky, 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 yeah, solid. And, and, and you make a full wrap around your big toes as well always? I do, yeah. Um, so going downhill um, with with good weight on my back, um, sometimes uh, with the rubbing, I'll, I'll get um, hot spots or blisters on my big toes. So I'll do a wrap on those and completely prevents it for me. The rest of my toes, I've never had issues with, or you know, the outsides of my feet or, or any of the other spots that are prone to to rubbing when you're slashing and going uphill or downhill. Okay, good stuff there. Um, and then what what um, tent are you using for the hunt? So um, I've got a, a, a 2U2P, um, the Storm Star, and that's what we'll be taking on the hunt with us. Got you. Um, is the Storm Star, in your opinion, is it a little bit overkill? I mean, would you be fine with the Mountain Star, or or is it just so, a and, and, of, Go ahead. No, and so I debated going back and forth, and if I was going into this hunt solo, then I would take the Mountain Star with me just to cut that extra weight. But because there's two of us going with only one sheep tag, um, it's just, you know, uh, uh, being able to have that, that extra bomb-proof tent that you can rely on, you know, being broke up between two guys. And that's why I went with the Storm Star versus the Mountain Star. Gotcha. And then I assume you're running the Chugach rain gear? I do, absolutely. No, no I'm sorry. I'll be taking the Utahns with me. So I own both. Uh, but when it comes to backpacking, um, and, and Alaska, August tends to be our wettest month. So um, to me, the Yukon, because of how bombproof it is, I just I, I absolutely love that stuff, and I live in it. So Yukons will be what I have on that hunt. Okay, so it's a little heavier, but you feel like from a durability standpoint and, um, you know, if it's going to rain nonstop, you want to be in your Yukon. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, if you now, have a little bit better weather, you have the ability to you know, pack and change out. Uh, different items then i would go with two gatch but you know living out of a backpack on an airstrip in the middle of nowhere with the potential for 10 days of rain to me the the weight um difference of the yukon's a no-brainer to me okay um and then the next question is a little bit self-serving because um you probably have a rough idea of where we're going with Frank on the goat hunt. Um, what do you do? Well, first of all, are there mosquitoes on the Chugach and, and, or do you think they'll be, how bad the mosquitoes will be on our goat hunt? And what do you do to f combat that? So a lot of that. So as you know, um, the mosquito is the state bird in Alaska and they seem to be anywhere and everywhere. So what's worse than the mosquito are the white socks which is a little tiny black biting fly. And when they bite you, 
uh, it can last for weeks. So the mosquitoes are the easy part. It's the black flies that you want to avoid. And I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what time of year I'm hunting or where I'm hunting in the world. I don't go anywhere without two bug head nets. So I always have one in my cargo pocket and then one in the belt patch, belt pouch on my pack. Um, but it, it all comes down to weather. It depends on how much wind you're going to have, how much rain, you know, and how chilly it is on whether or not you're going to have mosquitoes. But um, they could be from absolutely horrible to non-existent down there, which I know doesn't help you, but just plan on packing two bug nets and don't go anywhere without them. Okay. And do you, I mean, do you also take DEET or do you not even mess with that? I do. So I do take um, a can of bug spray um, and I like the dry series stuff. So I just like the way that it goes on. It doesn't tend to be as powerful or last as longer, but I hate the greasy feeling of bug spray when I'm mountain hunting, you know, just the way when you build up perspiration and the way it runs and the way it's tacky on your skin. So I like to use the dry stuff when I need bug spray. When you mean dry stuff, you mean dry spray? Yes, yeah, um, a, a couple of the different bug sprays, They um, that, that's just the name that's on the can. It goes on a lot lighter, um, and it's a lot less pungent as well. Gotcha. So it's not the 100% DEET, but you'd rather apply more but not have that greasy feeling. Absolutely so, yeah, for sure. Okay, good stuff there. Um, as far as... You said you're a horrible trophy hunter when it comes to sheep hunting. So, I mean, if you get a, you know, a mature ram, an old ram that that's a good-looking ram, you're you're gonna be trying to go after it with your bow right off the bat, right? Absolutely. It, it doesn't matter if it's a 34-inch uh, or a 40-inch ram. Um, you know, if he's mature and he's close to full full curl and, and looks good, that's gonna be the ram that I target. I'm not gonna pass up. You know, there's too many variables when it comes to mountain hunting in Alaska. Um, you know, one, I've got the time with that bighorn sheep hunt on the back door of the, the, the doll sheep hunt. You know, and then weather is such a huge factor here. Um, this, this mountain range that I'm going into, the year after I killed my sheep, I took my brother into that same drainage hoping to, to put him on a ram. And we spent five days um, in cloud cover and never saw the mountains, you know, and and things like that scare me when you draw premium tags like that and that's where i say that i'm a horrible trophy hunter so the first good looking mature ram is going to be in trouble gotcha uh let's shift gears a little bit to your um colorado hunt and that's obviously a draw hunt um that's an that's an archery hunt when does when does that hunt actually start so that hunt starts august 26th um, and I'll be flying down to Colorado um, on August 21st to try and get as much pre-scouting time um, and familiarity with the mountain before the hunt opens on, on that Saturday morning. And what are your expectations with that hunt, and how long do you have? So I've got three weeks committed to that hunt right now, um, four full days of scouting and then the rest of the time hunting. Um, and to be honest with you, I with with the difficulty of that hunt um if you look at the statistics only two archery rams have been harvested in the last five years but the governor's tag ram was killed in there last year which was a high 180s ram so um excellent trophy quality but super tough hunting conditions they're they're timber sheep and, and as you know they get a little bit of pressure and they just disappear so um to be honest the first ram that's you know, anywhere near the three-quarter coal mark or bigger that stands still long enough is going to get a, uh, uh, an arrow launched at him. How many other hunters are there in the on that S44? So I believe there's five tags total. I think there's four resident, and then I drew the only non-resident tag. How many weighted points did you have? So I had um, six weighted points, nine total. Wow, fantastic. That's right here in my backyard, um, literally in the summer. I, that's the frying pan, right? It is. Yep, it sure is. Well, it uh, should be good and lush. We've been getting rain up there, and um, yeah, you, that that should be a really fun hunt. That country's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, I ju- again, once I knew I drew the tag, I just went into prep mode and, you know, started pulling up uh, kill statistics and getting a hold of other hunters and, and, you know, just started networking. And um, I think I've got it dialed in pretty good. And just to me, this is, um, you know, one of the top end bucket list animals for me to hunt and will be by far the most important hunt that I've ever been on in my life is, is how I'm treating this hunt. 
Um, it, it helps that Colorado's my home state, so I'm super excited to be able to come home. Um, my best friend from Alaska is flying down with me. My brother, who still lives in Colorado, is going on the hunt. Um, I've got a couple of buddies from Utah that are coming over um, to join the hunt. Uh, um, one of my best friends that I grew up with in high school, Jennifer Couture, is going to go on the hunt. You know, just everybody's gathered around me to be uh, part of this. You know, they know how important it is and, and what a big deal it is. And, and it's just super exciting, you know, whether I end up killing a ram or not. Um, just the whole aspect of the hunt I'm looking forward to and can't wait to get down there to do. That's awesome. That, that's I can't wait to see how you do. I know you'll get one. Uh, I, I think uh, it's all, I'm curious your take, but it's all in how you prepare and your mindset going in mm-hmm. and, and your mental toughness, which being an airborne ranger and, you know, army sniper, obviously you've had a lot of training in, in difficult conditions and how to train your mind to um you know stick things out and and i think you're gonna i think you're gonna do really well yeah you hit the nail on the head there just you know the mental prep you know you get into the mountains and it's a grind you know it's it's hard and just being able to stay focused and stay in the game you know means so much and then the prep side of it to me is huge um i look at every hunt you know i only have so much time and so much money on this earth you know and and i want to make all that count so for me putting every minute of prep i can into it is going to pay dividends on the end, you know, getting up early to shoot my bow, you know, running five miles every day at lunch, putting the time in the mountains, you know, and the way I'm wired, um, I'm not one of those guys that likes to put a 60 pound pack on my back and walk three up three hours up a mountain to not have anything to shoot when I get there. But I know that that prep, you know, is going to pay dividends on the back end when I do actually get into the unit and I've got a tag in my pocket. Is there any gear that is going to be different, say, from the Alaska setup um, for this Colorado hunt? I think the only thing on that side is that, um, you know, I'm not going to be limited to an airstrip in the middle of the mountains. Um, So, you know, there's going to be some different uh, um, gear choices there, but a lot of it's going to be the heat. You know, Um, here in Alaska, I'm probably going to be looking at hunting in that 40 to 60 degree range. And what I've researched in Colorado there off the frying pan, I'm probably going to be looking in the upper 80s. So I think my gear list is going to be a little bit lighter. You know, maybe instead of running um, the attack pants, you know, I may, may be in a set of Tiburons, you know, and it, that just depends on how warm it is and what the weather's doing when I get there. And then, you know, like we talked about earlier, the weight difference and weather difference between the Yukons and the Chugach rain gear, you know, that'll probably be a hunt where I end up taking my Chugach versus the Yukon, you know, because I don't have to worry about being stuck you know, in a torrential downpour for 10 days. Yeah, and you have the ability to to be truck camping and what have you where you can have all your gear and be able to um, switch out stuff as you see fit, correct? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm able to take more gear, you know, and have those bags stashed in the truck or in, uh, you know, one of the spike camps that we may end up rotating to where I've got the ability to change out gear based on the weather conditions and based on how the hunting's going. You you also um, not too long ago I believe came off uh, a, a bear hunt that you did really well on. You're really I into did. the bears, aren't you? Yeah. So um, uh, this was just a ridiculously amazing spring bear season for us here. So um, like it's been for the last five seasons, my number one goal was to get my daughter a bear. Um, and for anybody that knows my daughter, um, she's had a lot of physical and mental struggles. She was born very premature. Um, she has type one diabetes since she was two. Um, she was diagnosed with autism, you know, so she just has a lot of struggles and, and the easiest things come hard for her. So it's been a long five year grind, um, of her sitting in the tree stand trying to get her a bear. Um, and everything came together this spring and she ended up shooting an absolute gorgeous, huge, um, six foot six boar. She just made a perfect shot on, had less than a 30 yard recovery. And to me, the season was, you know, couldn't get any better. Um, and was complete. And after that, um, I just kind of went on a terror and it's, uh, the unit that we hunt there, um, is uh, a three black bear limit. And I was able to take, um, three good mature black bears and then cap off the season, um, shooting a really nice eight foot mountain grizz. Fantastic. Now, was that your first, uh, grizzly? Um, no. So that was my second grizzly with a bow. And then last year I killed a, um, a giant 10-foot uh, brownie on the peninsula uh, with a rifle. So I, I've, I've killed two grizzlies and one brown bear since I've been in Alaska. That's fantastic. 
do you see yourself once you retire do you see yourself staying in alaska full-time or will you move back to the lower 48 yeah no for sure so um again going back to my daughter um she's got a lot of medical issues so that we have a lot of different doctors and specialists that are here in the state that are just phenomenal you know that have been with her since since she was born she's now 12 you know so they've been a part of her life and to me to take that away um, you know, it's a no-brainer to stay here, not to mention all the hunting opportunities, the outdoors. You know, to me, I don't see myself leaving Alaska anytime soon. And again, you know, I'm vested with, with my guide business, with TNT Guides. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to open up a taxidermy shop, you know, expand my guide business, and, and those are my plans after I retire from the military. So I'm, I'm looking to stay here for the long haul. Good stuff. What does TNT mainly guide for? So currently, um, we are licensed to guide uh, in Unit 26 on the north slope of the Brooks Range um, for caribou and grizzly bears. But uh, we're looking to expand over the next three years um, until I retire. Want to add spring bear um, in Unit 13, uh, and then hoping to add mountain goats in Unit 6. And I think with with those species spread out across uh, the year, um, that would be a great supplemental income, um, along with the opportunity, you know, to be able to guide within the state tell me about mountain goat hunting and how much experience do you have with it so um doll sheep are absolutely my favorite species but um i never ever miss a chance to hunt mountain goats they are a very close second to me so to me there's no better hunt than a a hard um backpack hunt i just i love the ruggedness i love living out of a backpack um and as you know i'm I'm sure from your your scouting that goats just live in nasty country. And to me, that challenge I just live for. So I, I try and hunt mountain goats every year. And um, luckily here in Alaska, we have units where you can take two mountain goats. Um, so there's years when I've got the time and the leave days and, and training's not uh, um, in the way that I get opportunities to hunt mountain goats two different times in two different units. So I, I've got a lot of mountain goat hunting experience um, and, and I've taken a lot of mountain goats with my bow. They're they are a blast and a very close second to my favorite animal. Um, I'm going to be taking a rifle and Dar's going to be taking his bow. Um, as far as stocking up on mountain goat, what tips would you give us as far as, I mean, we are total rookies and never even, I mean, I've seen mountain goats, but uh, only a few of them and I've never been to Alaska. What kind of advice would you give on stocking these things and i guess once you tell me all that give me overall advice for mountain goats yeah absolutely so when it comes to mountain goats um nine times out of ten the big billies are going to be on the upper third of the mountain and it just seems like um you know when they're up that high all their predators come from down below so if you get in the the um, a stocking scenario where you can be um, online or above them. That's always the approach that you want to do. Obviously, you know from hunting mountain, mountains that the wind is the, the trickiest part. So if you can get your wind right and get above them, that's always the approach you want to take. So the other thing it seems like with mountain goats too is that when they get into their escape cover, they don't tend to be as skittish. You know, they'll stay inside that comfort zone in the rocks and, you know, a lot of times just look at you, you know, which gives you an opportunity. But with that probably the biggest mistake that people make mountain goat hunting is shooting a goat in an area that they should not be shooting a goat in. And that means where it's going to fall. And then not only where it falls, if it's recoverable, but the damage that you're going to do to your goat. So, um, you know, the trophy size on a goat, you know, nine inches is, is a big billy and above, you know, that's not a lot of horn. So a lot of the trophy in a mountain goat is that hide, you know, that big long hair. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the face is really thin-skinned and it does not take much to beat them up. So you've got to be patient when you locate those goats, that you wait for your shot opportunity, that it's in a position where they're not going to, you know, make a 300-foot tumble off the mountain. How apt are they after the shot to take a tumble or, are you know, is it almost inevitable that, it, you know, they're going to go jump off a cliff? Yeah, so you being a rifle hunter, I think you've got a little bit more of an advantage. So if you've got the opportunity um, uh, to take a bedded animal that's in a good position and take that high shoulder shot where you can anchor him, that's going to be your best opportunity for recovery. Um, goats are absolutely notorious. I've had it happen to me firsthand 
um, where they will just bail off a cliff. I don't know what it is in their DNA that makes them tick the way they do, but when they get wounded, you know, they move to their, their escape cover. Their escape cover is the nastiest stuff on the mountain, and they just either jump or fall, and, you know, it's a nasty plunge from there. So if you get the chance to, to get one in a good bedded spot or, you know, the very few flat spots on the mountain, um, try and anchor that goat with a good solid shoulder shot. How tough are they? So I've seen the best and the worst of the mountain goats. Um, I've seen them go down ridiculously fast. Um, I killed a billy with my bow five or six years ago down near Valdez. Um, and I, I put it, it was a quarter and away shot. It stopped in the far shoulder. And that goat only ran 15 yards and fell over in a flat spot. You know, just got super lucky. And then I've seen goats that have taken high caliber rifle shots, you know, right through the pump station three, four, five times and just keep on going. They they tend to be more hardy than than your average animal. They can seem to soak up the lead and just keep on going. And that's why I say if you've got the chance to anchor them, you know, try and anchor them in place. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. I've heard they can really pack, take a punch pretty good. Yep. Um, as far as, you know, you're talking about nine inch plus for Billy, but then you mentioned the, the, the hide and, and their coat, um, so to speak. Uh, being your first, being my first mountain goat hunt, what would you encourage me to be looking for um, more an aspect of horn or more of aspect of their hide? So as far as the hide goes, you're not going to have much variation from animal to animal. Obviously, a mature billy is going to tend to have a little bit bigger beard. You know, he's going to have a bigger body. He's going to have, you know, that bigger mature look that you're looking for. Um, but the 9-inch mark is your your baseline for trophy level. And especially with you being able to shoot a rifle, you're going to have, you know, a little bit more distance um, and ability to have that standoff to take that shot. But I would look for, you know, a heavy-horned, um, goat that's going to be somewhere around that nine inch plus mark okay and looking more for mass than you know just a solid old goat so you know it's kind of you know depends on what, what you're, you're wanting but you know a, a big mature goat you know with that is going to come uh size you know and it's going to carry the mass it's going to carry the length so you just want to look for the biggest bodied animal on the mountain and you know hopefully your guide has um, depending on, on who you get sent with, has a lot of knowledge with goats because, you know, for the average guy looking at it, uh, an 8-inch goat standing next to a 9-inch goat, it's hard to tell the difference. You know, and, and the same thing goes when you put them on the wall. You know, you put an 8-inch billy on the wall versus a 9-inch billy, unless you've got them sitting there side by side, you know, it's going to look like a good mature representative. Sure. And what will they weigh, a mature billy weigh? So you're looking at, at uh, 250 pounds and plus. They're like the size of a big mule deer. But when you get that hide off them, you're going to see they're built really weird. It's all front end on them. You know, they've got little back ends on them. They're big, beefy shouldered up front. They've got a giant hump on them. And, and, they're you know, they're built like tanks up front. How do they taste? So mountain goat, to be honest, is not my favorite. So... Um, like any other species uh, of wild game, it comes down to prep. And then anytime that we, we harvest a mountain goat, um, we tend to make, you know, more of your speci specialty meats, sausages, jerky, you know, things where you can add a lot of spice. So to me, and, and uh, I, I may be the odd guy out, but, you know, there's people that do like mountain goat and, and say that it tastes good. But for me, it, it's not my favorite, especially when we have other species in the state like moose, um, sick of blacktails, muskox is ridiculously good. Um, mountain goat is just near the bottom of my list for species in the state. Tell me about Devil's Club. So Devil's Club is absolutely nasty, and you want to avoid it at you know all costs. So the problem with Devil's Club is it's got these tiny little spines, and when you grab onto them or or it, you you hit that branch and it whips back into your leg, those spines break off, and until they fester they're almost impossible to get out because you start messing with them with tweezers and you just break them off and they just, they, they suck. So, for lack of a better term, Devil's Club just sucks. And it's all over mountain goat country. So all your lower country that you'll have to go through uh, to move up into the mountains to get to goats, you're going to be going through Devil's Club. Any advice? Um, Frank was telling us to wear the Kuyu guide pant that's a little bit thicker, has the fleece lining is, is going to be a little bit better with the devil's club. What's your opinion? 
So, yeah, I mean, that that's uh, an option. So for me, um, on my legs, I get hot really, really quick. So um, I cannot wear the guide pants in, on almost any hunt. They are just too hot for me, especially in a mountain condition where you're climbing. Um, for me, I don't go anywhere in the mountains without walking sticks. And the one thing about Devil's Club is it's not real hardy. Um, so it's easy to just, you know, whack the, the stocks off with your walking sticks as you're moving through the hills. Um, the one recommendation I would have is have good thick gloves on, though. That way you can grab onto that stuff, uh, break it off, and you're not going to get get the needles embedded into your hands. And when you do get them embedded in your hands, do you try and get them out with tweezers or just tough it out? No. Like I said, it's super brittle, so nine times out of ten you just end up breaking them off in your skin and you've got to wait till it festers to get them out, unfortunately. Um, if they don't bury in that deep, a lot of times you can get them out where you just pull them out with tweezers or pull them out um, with your fingers. just depends on how deep they're in and whether or not they break off on you. Do you think the Kuyu Guide Glove is a thick enough glove to grab that, or should you go with the even thicker glove? No, I think the Guide Glove would be just fine for that. Yep, I think that there's plenty of uh, thickness in the palm of that, that it's going to suit you well. Okay. How many goats have you taken? Um, This is probably bad, but I'd honestly have to go back and look at pictures. I probably have 10 archery mountain goats under my belt. Have you ever shot one with a rifle? I have not. I have nothing against it. I just, I, I never have. Gotcha. So, and then um, I've probably as, been as, on... I'm sorry, go ahead. As far as stocking them, Dar was um, hearing somebody or maybe read it that um, take a white painter suit. Curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. If you're archery hunting, I think over whites um, are one of the, the keys, to, keys to success. Um, not only for your stock to freeze them if they bust you, but if you've got a chunk of terrain that you've got to move across that may be an open side of them. You know, you put your overlights on, your painter suit, whatever you end up going with, and, you know, hands and knees crawls across that opening. But um, I've been in situations where I've kitted up with my full overlights, um, neck gaiter, beanie, all that, and peeked up over the rocks and been busted by goats and dropped back off the rocks and the, actually had the goats come to me. So in an archery situation, I think overlights are worth their weight in gold. And you don't have to get anything heavy, you know, just a lightweight that will go over the top of your camis. Interesting. Um, and can you literally just walk, you know, if you're three or four or 500 yards from them, can you literally just walk and they think it's a goat or do you, do you have to get on all fours? So to me, as a rule of thumb, I want to be out of sight, you know, as much as possible until I close in for the shot. So if you can avoid being out in the open in any conditions, whether you're in overweights or not, I would avoid it at all costs. But mountain goats, like I was talking about earlier, tend to not be as skittish as you see other animals. So that three to four to 500 yard range, a lot of times they'll just stand there and watch you, you know, and you can get away with a lot more than you can with some uh, uh, other species. You know, every animal is different. They're going to have a different threshold of what they're comfortable in. But when you're talking three, four, 500 yards away, you, you tend to get away with a lot more on a mountain goat than you would say a doll sheep or, you know, another species animal. But if you can, if it's just a small, uh, opening if you can hands and knees crawl it to make it look make yourself look more like a goat then that's the approach i would take if it's a longer uh span that's going to beat your legs up beat your knees up you know then just move slow you know and, and try not to move at them if you can move parallel you know across them so that you don't come across as a threat it, it'll help you so we're going to be hunting roughly the 12th through the 20th that time of year. Are billies hanging together? Are they with the nannies? Like what, what, what should we expect? So um, uh, billies, when they're, they're born, they'll stay with nannies up to three years. So you can get up to an eight-inch billy that'll be with a nanny group, but you, you don't want to kill a three-year-old billy. So that's not what you're looking for. They're going to have an immature face. They're not going to be heavy-horned. You know, so any um, billy that you find that's with a nanny group, you want to avoid. Any large group of goats at this time of year is generally going to be nannies with kids and young billies. So you're looking for those solo groups. Um, I've seen as many as five mature billies together, uh, but that's not the norm. Usually they're running ones, two, sometimes three. So you're looking for um, that smaller group of goats. And like I said, this time of year they're going to be higher on the mountain. You're going to run into the nannies and kids um, in that mid-range to upper uh, three-quarter range where those billies are generally going to stay um, up above 
the three-quarter line mark of a mountain. So it's going to be easier to find uh, billies than it is, um, you know, higher up on the mountain. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that's a lot of good insight there. And um, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, Are there any animals in the lower 48 that you really like hunting? Um, Obviously, you're coming down for this bighorn, but, I mean, do you like elk? Do you like coos deer? Do you, I mean... Are there other animals that you really have a passion for? So I'm one of those guys. I absolutely, I love to hunt anything and everything. Um, I'm always trying. Now I'm at a point where I'm trying to look for that new adventure, new species, new state, um, new country, you know. So, but if I had to pick one right now, just off the top of my head from lower 48, um, growing up, I just loved chasing speed goats. Um, To me, it's the visual, as you know, the open plains, being able to find animals um they're tough <laughs> tough as hell to hunt with a bow um spot and stock conditions but i just i absolutely love antelope um and what i've come to hunt uh the last few years have been coos deer i just think coos deer are super cool um they're tough they're stupid smart um and it's just a real challenge i've been down to, to mexico twice now to hunt coos deer and if i had the opportunity to do it again i'd jump at that yeah they're pretty we love those animals for sure. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Justin, it's been awesome having you on. I know you've, you're, you're getting ready for your hunts. I know you got to go. Um, I appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, look forward to seeing your pictures from your hunt, uh, both hunts you have coming up. And uh, do you have anything else that you're planning on hunting uh, this fall uh, other than the uh, doll sheep and the Rocky Mountain bighorn? I do. So right now, um, November 3rd to 11th, uh, we're heading back over to Kodiak, um, which is one of my all-time favorite places to hunt. Um, and we'll be hunting mountain goats and uh, sick to black-tailed deer over there. This is a hunt I try and do every year or at least every other year. Um, I've got one of my best friends from here in Anchorage that's going with me, and then I've got four buddies from the lower 48 um, that are flying up to go on that hunt. And then if things go well, and I tagged out on that bighorn early in Colorado, um, that'll leave me some vacation days to be able to hunt um, caribou and mountain goats uh, in Valdez when I get back. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for sharing time with us. Uh, and I want to uh, give you a chance to let the listeners know where they can follow you, I believe, on Instagram and maybe more about your TNT guide service. Yep. So I'm on Instagram at Justin Schaefer, and it's spelled S H A F F E R 1115. Um, and then our guide business, um, we pretty much run through two booking agencies, uh, Outdoors International and then Worldwide Trophy Adventures. So if you're interested um, in that, you can you can find our uh, profile on either one of their websites. Fantastic. Well, God bless you, man, and thanks for your time, and uh, good luck on your hunts, okay? Thanks, Jay. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck on your mountain goat hunt. I can't wait to see pics, man. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks, man. Be safe. Have fun, brother. Bye. All right, bye.